All right, so we're talking about counterfeits. Last week, we, uh, we looked at that common claim that God won't put on you more than you can handle, and we contrasted that. I didn't just call this out, but 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is perfected in weakness. You see how different that is? from God won't put on you more than you can handle. And so we're looking at claims. We're looking at the problem with that claim. You know, common claims, things that we throw around, and we don't really think about whether they're biblical. They're claims that are counterfeit. We're looking at the problems, how they're counterfeit. We're looking at the source, where, we th- where I think they came from out of, of Scripture, a little bit of twisted out of Scripture. Think about that. They're twisted out of Scripture. And then the solution. This morning... Another counterfeit. To each his own. To each his own. Well, what does that mean? That means when somebody has an opinion, someone has an opinion or a choice, and you don't like that opinion or that choice, sometimes we say, to each his own. Right? But we realize that we're invested in some of those choices, some of those minors, right? So what if, you know, for example, uh, tomorrow morning you woke up in the morning and I had secretly switched out your toothpaste, right, with the other brand, right? And just picture yourself there. Or maybe, maybe worse, uh, maybe you're a from the bottom squeezer, right? So like, like, like the bottom of the toothpaste, you like flatten it out as it goes and some of you just squeeze right in the middle of it, right? Well, what if, what if I just went to your tube of toothpaste and I just kind of like you've got it all flattened out and I just kind of squeezed it, right, and you woke up in the morning? And you saw it that way, right? Some of you all are that way, I know. Some of you even use paper clips. And you just kind of roll it up and just, you know. See me after. I can help you with that a little bit. It's a referral. But some of you all have a particular brand of cereal or coffee. And if I switch that out, it would be a big deal to you, right? My uncle always drove Fords, all right? It's Ford. That was it. Okay, that would be hilarious to switch like his car with a you know something else like a Chevy. Oh my goodness, he would yeah. We are invested in our choices, right? And then we realize tomato, tomato, potato, patata. Neither, neither, either, either. Right? The old Gershwin song. We're not going to destroy relationship over minors. We're not going to major in the minors. But the problem is that to each his own which is what we normally say about these things, to each his own, has started to become applied to just about everything. Just about everything. To each his own has started to become applied to things that are crucially important. Some years ago, uh, a group of scholars got together at Emory University, Robert Bella and a bunch of others, and they, they, they asked questions. They did man-on-the-street interviews across the country about what people believe. What do you believe? And they interviewed this one woman, Sheila Larson. She's a young nurse who has received a good deal of therapy and describes her faith as, this is how she describes her faith. Sheilaism. This suggests the logical possibility of almost 300 million American religions. One for each of us. I believe in God, Sheila says. 
I'm not religious, a religious fanatic. Notice that once somebody uh, claims that they believe in God in our culture, uh, they have to back off that statement so that they don't appear to be uh, fanatical. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism, just my own little voice. Sheila's faith has some tenets beyond belief in God, though not many. In defining what she calls my own Sheilaism, she says, I'll, I just, it's just that I try to love myself. I'm gentle with myself, you know. I guess take care of each other. I think God would want us to take care of each other. Like many others, Sheila would be willing to endorse few more specific points. Why? It divides. It divides. And so we say to each his own, right? Your beliefs, my beliefs, they're private. Well, here's the problem with that. Here's the problem. That's the claim. To each his own, right? Your beliefs, my beliefs, they're private. Here's the problem with to each his own when it comes to what we believe. It's an air castle. It's an air castle, all right? I, I know somebody up in, in the Chattanooga area who, uh, who uh, wanted to start a golf course in a particular place where everybody said, you're crazy to start. That's an air castle. So he called it air castle. It's still uh, running today. His golf course called air castle. So it's just sort of thumbing his nose at him. You know what an air castle is? It's a, it's a castle that has no foundation. To each his own. Regarding beliefs is an air castle, people. Right? It, it's like the story about the little boy who says, Dad, what's holding up the world? And Dad doesn't have a lot of time, so he says, Well, it's, it's held up on the back of a very large dog. All right? This little boy says, Oh, okay, that's great. He goes off, he comes back, and he says, Yeah, I've been thinking about it, Dad, and you said that earth is held up, on, it's on the back of a large dog. What, what's the dog standing on? He says, well, the dog is standing on an elephant. Oh, okay, great, great, great. So he goes off, and he comes back, and he says, All right, I've been picturing this in my mind. Now, you said the earth is sitting on the dog, and the dog is on the elephant. What's the elephant standing on? And his dad, exasperated, he says, he says, son, it's elephant all the way down. <laughs> it's elephant all the way down. All right, see, so when you make a claim like this, to each his own, your beliefs, my belief, they're private. What's the basis? What's the authority of that claim? You see, that's the, that's the American doctrine today. That's the doctrine that you'll find in the media, in the culture, and in, in, in the public square, in our schools. To each his own. To each his own. Your beliefs, my beliefs, they're private. That's a doctrine. It's a doctrine. It's a claim. Is it true? And if it's true, on what authority? Is it just standing on an elephant that goes all the way down? And the answer is yes. Yes. When we say, when someone says to you, you know, it it doesn't matter what you believe just as long as you believe it sincerely, right? These are the kinds of things that we say to each his own. These are the things, this is the way that we deal with our differences 
today is just to say that they're private, but to foist that as a doctrine on the public square, it needs to have some kind of authority, and it has no authority. It's just avoidance. It's avoidance. You see, it comes from a particular source, though. You know, Romans 14, I think, is that source. Romans 14 is the place when, when there are differences among believers, how do you deal with those differences? And so out of a sense of charity, out of a sense of the way that we agree to disagree in the church, and over the centuries we have dealt with this, you can look back historically how the church has dealt well, has dealt well with differences. Despite all the divisions, we've agreed to disagree. We've, and when we've modeled that, that's been very compelling to people outside the church. And it's been adopted even in terms of things that are crucially important to each his own. Let me read to you from Romans 14 what it says. Romans 14, beginning with verse 1, dealing with differences. Now, some of this is... If you haven't read this, it's going to rub you a little bit funny, okay? As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another day, while another esteems all days alike. We deal with this, this very thing today. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. A couple things going on in this passage. First is, is Paul making accommodation for people who are coming out of a legal system called Judaism, right? These are Jews who are believers in Jesus, right? And the Jews at the time had 613 different regulatory laws and dietary restrictions, And so people had what are called scruples. They they have lived a lifestyle where this was a no-no, right? You're not supposed to eat meat on Friday, just fish, right? Or whatever it is. That's the way some people look at it today. There, There are certain phases where you can't eat meat, still can't eat meat on Friday. And so what if you take somebody who's used to not eating meat, only fish on Friday, and you say, hey, look, there's a, there, there's a doctrine here in the scriptures you're missing, and that is the freedom to eat anything at any time that you don't. Well, we've always observed that, that Friday night as a special thing, but 
I'll think about that. And now they're wrestling with their own conscience, right? And so what Paul is saying is, for people who wrestle with a level of freedom that has some restrictions on it that other people don't have, don't judge them. He calls them weak in the faith. He says they don't yet have a certain level of freedom where they realize that all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial, as Paul says in another place in Romans. He calls that a weakness. But, but, now check this out. He calls it a weakness for people to be restricted by these minors, right? And yet he also says, he goes on and he says, There are people who are doing this where they're honoring a day to the Lord. And so he's also saying this. He's saying, you have the freedom to observe fish on Friday. So if somebody has a scruple and they have have the sense where they don't have, on the one hand, they don't have the freedom not to eat fish on Friday, right? Not, Not to eat meat on Friday. They, they, they just kind of feel trapped. This is the way they've always done it. They don't really know why, but they just something pricks them in their conscience. They, they just can't do it, right? That person doesn't realize the fullness of the unwieldy freedom that God gives us in grace. They don't realize it. They're weak in the faith. Yet, on the other hand, there are some people who would say, you know what? I know I'm free to eat meat on Friday. But I continue to eat fish. Do you know why? For me, it's a spiritual discipline. There's freedom to have scruples. Do you see the powerful place of unity amidst that diversity? Do you see the powerful place where Paul wants us to live in a way that's so different from the way the world lives? Constantly dividing each other up into sheep and goats. I remember in in, uh, college, uh, you know... People would, would stand and, and, you know, if you were in a college ministry or something like that, you might be praying as a leadership team. And, and you know, th- at the end of that prayer, you know what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to squeeze each other's hands right before your hands drop, right? That, that's what you're supposed If you're really a believer, if you really are one of us, you're going to squeeze hands. If you don't squeeze hands, we may look at you askance the next time. When we open our eyes, you think, that guy didn't squeeze hands. Mm-hmm. Not so sure about this guy. And see, we're constantly dividing each other, and Paul's saying, Don't do that. Demonstrate a freedom in those non essentials. Another example of this is in, in movies. Some of you all will not see R rated movies, right? Some of you all are saying, what, really? There are people who won't see R-rated movies? I know, you're you're in here too. Did you know The Passion of Christ was an R-rated movie? The Passion of Christ. If you can't, if if you're drawing a strict line, you just say, you know what? I'm going to let whoever those people who are putting the, the ratings on movies, they're now in charge. They're now my authority. You see, Christians are, are supposed to be in a place where, where we're making a lot more dynamic and free judgments about what's good. You know, the, the basis of, of a good movie for me is not the rating. It's the story. Is it a redemptive story? If it's not, turn it off. I don't care what the rating is. 
But I am thankful for those ratings because I do think that there's a certain age where you, you, your brain hasn't developed to a place, where kids' brains haven't developed to a place where they can really process some of the issue, where they can't see, like, so, uh, for example, Argo. You all have seen Argo? Some of you all have seen Argo? And uh, Beth and I thought we should let our older three see Argo because it's a great story and it's historic and it's, you know, the story about about uh, the, the, the hostages 444 days in captivity, captivity in uh, Iran in uh, 1979-1980. And they turned it on, and I'm telling you, the language was so unbelievable. And I didn't remember. Now, you've had this experience, right, where you've, you've seen a movie, and you didn't really notice how bad the language is, and then uh, you watched it again with a kid, and you think, oh, ooh, didn't remember all that. Why? Because you're, you're in a story, and the story is redemptive, and it's, there's something important about it, and you can prioritize the value of a story over the, 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 the language. And yet, gosh, don't we, don't we saturate ourselves so much with that junk, with narratives that are beneath us? And so you see Paul is saying both. He's saying both. See, I, I think Paul would use movies if he were writing today, he would use movies as a way. What are you putting into your head? <laughs> what are you putting into your heart? And do you know why? That's the source. There are, there's liberty in the non-essentials, in other words. Paul's saying there's liberty in the non-essentials. But there are also essentials. There are also essentials. You say, well, what are those essentials, Tim? Well... The essentials in the Bible are clear. What's clear in the Bible is essential. What's clear in the Bible is essential. What's unclear is not essential. Are there any questions? <laughs> I mean, there's a narrative arc to Scripture. There's a narrative arc of creation, fall, redemption, consummation, creation, fall, promise, fulfillment. Over and over again, the whole, from, from, from Genesis to the maps, as they say, right? The maps are at the very back of the Bible. From Genesis to the maps, there is a narrative arc of creation, fall, promise, and fulfillment. And in each place throughout Scripture, creation, fall, promise, fulfillment. And understanding how that story, how that narrative is historic is essential. It's essential to... Understanding scripture, it's essential to understanding who God is and who we are. It's essential to understanding what he's called us to do and to be. It's essential. So there are essentials. As as C.S. Lewis says, he puts it this way, he says, it's been several weeks since I've quoted C.S. Lewis, okay, so it's time. I believe in Christianity, he said. I believe in Christianity like I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Maybe you don't even see the sun, you just see it reflected on, you know, Monet. You can see Monet. One of the reasons why I love Monet, Monet's haystacks. You see, you don't see the sun, you just see the sun, the light of the sun on the haystacks. And there is this promise, there's this vision, there's this, this empowering of sight. When you look at those haystacks, you see 
that there is a source of light from somewhere, and that's crucially important to understanding who we are to be and what we are to do. Let me say it one more time. I believe in Christianity in the same way that I believe in the sun, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything. And so we don't just look at our faith, we look through our faith. That understanding, that narrative arc helps us understand everything. There are essentials, in other words, that give us a moral compass so that when we're faced with various circumstances, we know whether or not to have a scruple. A scruple. What's a scruple? Again, a scruple is, 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 is a doubt about whether or not something is moral, right? And God has said in Jeremiah, he said this. He said, I'm going, a day is coming when I'm going to write a covenant on your heart so you can walk around. You don't just have to consult the manual of 613 different dietary restrictions as to whether or not you're supposed to pull this lever or push that button. You have the covenant written on your heart so that in every circumstance, you know through the essentials of what has been revealed through this narrative arc of all time and history of what I'm doing in your life. You will know whether or not it's right or it's wrong. There are essentials, but in the non-essentials, don't beat each other up. And so what's, what's the solution then? What's the solution? If, if, if to each his own has been pushed too much onto essentials, right? If to each his own has been to, to claim that private beliefs must stay private and are only private, then how do we as the world keeps pushing the church back into its walls, as we step out in the marketplace, as you make a faith-based statement and somebody says, don't push your, your faith on me, and yet they're pushing their faith back on you, and that is the doctrine of it's all private. Did you follow that? You see what I'm saying? I mean, the pushback is a doctrine, right? Somebody's doctrine is going to order the day in the marketplace and in the school system and in the government. Somebody's faith is going to frame up what's normal and what's good and what's right and what's true. And so how do we deal with that outwardly, according to Romans 14? I mean, somebody else might just say, look, I see that they're minors, tomato, tomato, potato, patata. Let's call the whole thing off, right? That's, that's the minors, right? And then they're majors, right? They're the majors, the narrative arc that tells us who God is and who we are. But you say, well, Tim, there, there are things in the middle, aren't there? There are important things. How do, I, how do we relate to each other regarding those things that we're not even sure? Are they important? Are they minor? How do we deal with those important things, those decisions? A couple of different things that, that Romans says here in 14. Romans 14 says two different things in how we're to relate to each other amidst these differences. The first one is this. Be for something. All right? I love, I love, I mean, it's always funny to me when I say something really obvious, you know, that we overlook, right? Be for something. Well, what's the alternative? Well, it's just to react. It's just to be against. Verse 4, it says, verse 5, in Romans 14, it says, each one of you should be fully convinced. All right? 
Each one of you should be fully convinced. Be for something. Be confident about it. Don't just spend your life reacting to other people. In other words, don't let other people set the agenda. Don't just constantly react. No, if there's something that, that you're reading in the news media, for example, and you say, that is crazy. Does that make sense? Right? Does that, is that good? You see, we're, we're constantly going to have a new one of these. Constantly, there's always going to be a new one. So how do we deal with it? Be for something. Be for, if, if there, there's something happening in the news media, for example, or in the culture in general, that, that's saying this, and you think that's crazy. Don't just react to it. You see, what, what, what people often do is when they, want, when they want to be in charge, when they want power, they want their idea to be powerful over you, this is what they're going to do. They're going to get a reaction out of you, and then they're going to fault you with it. They're going to make you react, right? And we do this to each other all the time. We're in disagreement. And what, what, what sometimes happens is if I disagree with you, I'm going to provoke you, and you're going to react, and you're going to say, oh, look at that, see? I'm right. Look at you. You've just caught fire. I didn't. <laughs> you're wrong. I'm right. See, Paul is saying, be fully convinced. Be for something. Don't just be against. Don't be defined by what you're against. Be for something. There's freedom in that. You see, there's freedom not to judge. It also says, verse 4, it says, don't judge each other. Don't spend time judging each other. Be free from having to judge people. Free yourself from having to judge people. I, I want to illustrate this for just a minute. Uh, there are a couple of different personalities that... I think of, when I think of this kind of issue of being divided or agreeing to disagree, and what's the line between agreeing to disagree and, and, and agreeing that these things are too important, right? Where's the line? And I think of different, the way different people have been dealing with this. And, and one was, in the 80s, uh, the moral majority, all right? I'm talking about, well, I'm not going to name names. But I'm talking about people who, who were using power in public in order to, 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 to keep the status quo, all right? And it was in the name of our faith, but they were using power. And you know what? I think we're still dealing with the problems that, that went on in, in that, that way. People who were using power to try to suppress rather than something much more compelling, what Paul is showing us here. They were using power in a way that controlled other people's lives because they didn't like what they saw going on. Well, there's another, there's another personality. I think of Franklin Graham. I think of Franklin Graham's Samaritan's Purse. And this is going to wrap everything up that is being said in Romans 14. I think it, it helps us. It will give you an image to go out with. Think of Franklin Graham's Samaritan's Purse. This is the organization that does the Christmas boxes, right? This is the organization that when Rwanda, the the Hutus and the Tutsis were in a civil war over in Rwanda, they were the first ones in before the Red Cross Cross, uh, was even in there. When there was a a huge storm in Nicaragua and it wiped out a lot of their infrastructure and people were stranded, Samaritan's Purse were the first ones in there. And and so you you see what, what I see happening here is... There's a platform for the truth by what you do. And let me put it this way. This is what Paul is saying in Romans 14. This is the whole thing, all right, wrapped up in one sentence. 
live in such a way that when people disagree with you, they doubt themselves. That's what Paul's saying. Live in such a way that when people disagree with you, they doubt themselves. You see, you can, you can take some of these organizations that have made themselves powerful, right, in the name of faith and have tried to control the culture. Didn't work. Didn't work. It just irritated people, right? It just ticked people off. And we're still dealing with the fallout of it. Or you can live in such a way that when people disagree with you, they doubt themselves. That's what I see happening with Samaritan's Purse. You see, there's an old expression that says, what you do is so loud, I cannot hear what you say. What you do is so loud, I cannot hear what you say. And so when we live according to the principles, when, when we agree to disagree, tomato, tomato, potato, potato, when, we, when we're agreeing to disagree about minor things, but we know what we're for, we know what we stand for, and we're a people who will not compromise, those kinds of people who have clarity on the essentials, but liberty on the non-essentials, that's the kind of love that our church can represent in the world that's missing. Unity in the essentials. This is actually our motto for our denomination. St. Augustine said it. Unity in the essentials. Liberty in the non-essentials. Love overall. People who know what they stand for and they will not compromise, and yet they have the grace and the freedom not to judge people who are different. They have the grace and the freedom not to spend their lives judging and picking each other apart. Those people are demonstrating a kind of love that is so unworldly that other people are going to say, hmm, that's different. I think I want some of that. That's our call. Not to just sort of shrug our shoulders at the world and each other and say, you know, to each his own. Private beliefs are private. But to know what we stand for. Not to pick on each other and judge, but to have the freedom to be for something and to have a lifestyle that's so compelling, everybody else wants to know what that something is.